is this project an art project or is it a cynical attempt to profit off of an Hermes copyright and trademark? I'm Daphne Howland. And I'm Danny James, and we're reporters at Retail Dive. This is our podcast where we look into the biggest retail trend shaping the industry. We talk about what traditional retailers are up to, what's happening in the DTC space, and everything in between. Plus, we'll be talking to some industry experts along the way. This is The Backroom. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of The Backroom. Today, Daphne and I are going to be talking about pretty much NFTs and retail. We're looking at a case that recently ended in court. It relates to purses, it relates to non-fungible tokens, the First Amendment even. And Daphne recently wrote a story kind of updating the result of this court case. That's what we're going to be chatting about today. So some pretty hot topics in the retail industry, I think, this covers. Daphne, why don't I pass it over to you and with the first question basically being, tell us the who, what about this court case. What retailers are involved? What's the topic about that happened? This was pretty interesting. This was a pretty high profile fight, partly because it's one of the first of its kind. Hermes, which is, you know, they make Birkin bags, which are these beyond high-end purses. The story goes that Jane Birkin, who, I mean, is she an actress, a singer, both? Model? Model muse. I think, yes, I think she's a muse. She was married to a classic French crooner in the 60s. And I feel like someone from Hermes met her on a plane and her stuff was falling out of her bag. And this person said, we will design one for you. And so that became the Birkin bag. I don't know if that's the true story, but that's what I've heard. From that simple idea of making a beautiful, classic, simple, elegant bag that will hold things and not spill things, came this ultra luxury item that is, I mean, at retail, it's priced at $5,000, $8,000, $12,000. Nobody really knows, except I guess the people who buy them. Closer to like ten okay. to thirty. I think it depends on like the type of leather used. They have ostrich leather and all these crazy exotic things. So truly a luxury item, hard to get because you have to have a track record at Hermes before you can even get on the waiting list for a Birkin bag. So if you see one in the wild, the person has gone through a lot to get that bag and shelled out a lot to get that bag. Even more so if they bought it secondhand because the bags tend to actually gain in value. It's not one of those situations where you can get a deal on this item because you're buying it secondhand. You're probably paying even more. And that goes back to the limited runs and the, you know, what it's made of and all the things that you were saying. So enter this digital creator, Mason Rothschild, who did a take on the Birkin bag. It was auctioned off as an NFT, which is a non-fungible token, meaning, and Danny, you might be able to help me out with this. It's a digital image that has blockchain data encrypted into it. It was a transparent Birkin bag with a fetus inside. It was a so-called pregnant Birkin. 
that was auctioned off for $47,000 in May of 2021. Interestingly, however, Hermes did not take Rothschild to court over that. That was perhaps more easily construed as a work of art, maybe a parody or some kind of statement. What they did do, though, is they took him to court for a series of 100 images of Birkins covered in fur. His 100 drawings debuted at Art Basel in Miami, and he priced them at $450. So that's well below what that original pregnant Birkin was auctioned off for. And the furry Birkins were also NFTs? The furry Birkins were also NFTs. And by the way, priced at the equivalent of $450 in cryptocurrency. So it wasn't like there was a dollar sign. At that time, the equivalent was $450. They have since, like Birkin bags themselves, gained in value. So as they continue being traded, they're going for more than that original $450. Hermes did not take kindly to this project and took Rothschild to court about a year ago asked for a jury. So 12 lay people had to answer the question, is this project an art project or is it a cynical attempt to profit off of an Hermes copyright and trademark? And the jury decided that it is, it was cynical and it was commercial and it was not art. So Rothschild has to pay damages. He has to give back the money he made, which all things considered isn't the biggest judgment. It's $23,000 in damages for cyber squatting. That applies to the metaburkins.com URL where these can be found. And that URL was still live at the time that I wrote the story. I think perhaps because this case is not over because Rothschild is going to appeal. And he had to give back the $110,000 in net profits that he earned from the project. So he's going to appeal. The fight is not over, as he said on Instagram. I think that means that officially it remains an open question. Is this an art project? And if it does seem to be an art project, what does that mean? What does this judgment mean for the future of the metaverse and NFTs and, you know, any kind of take on a trademark or a commercial image. When you see a project like this, one of the first things that will come to many people's minds is the Andy Warhol soup cans. And in fact, an Andy Warhol expert, an art critic who worked for the Washington Post for a decade and now writes for the New York Times, and who wrote a book on Andy Warhol, submitted a report to the court, but the judge didn't let him testify as an expert. There was some argument about whether you could be considered an expert when you don't have, you aren't able to provide scientific or scientific-esque proof that something is a work of art. It was an interesting argument that Hermes made. In any case, the judge didn't have him testify as an expert. So and I don't know if the jury was given that report that he submitted to the case. And you said there was a jury involved in this. And is that usual for these types of trademark cases? 
I know you spoke to a trademark lawyer for this. So curious if the rundown of the actual proceedings were typical. So I talked to a very well-established trademark attorney who really does not like the idea of NFTs being an acceptable way for anyone to capitalize on someone's trademark. He'd like to nip this in the bud. He works with a lot of fashion brands. He understands trademark law. Rothschild's attorney was very, not surprisingly, sees this as a First Amendment issue that very much revolves around the kind of artistic license that you are allowed to take when you create a painting or a drawing or perhaps a film. I'm sure there are all kinds of issues. If you use someone's trademark in a film, you, you probably can't just use it straight without getting some kind of permission. But if you make some kind of commentary around it, then the First Amendment comes into play. I think that even though Hermes got a favorable judgment here from this jury, it's, you know, because this is not the end of the road for this court case, it remains an open question. And one of the things that Rothschild's attorney said is that this is a, this was a jury of lay people. So they don't have trademark law expertise. They don't have, they're not art critics perhaps a a panel of judges who are the ones who are going to be listening to an appeal, a panel of judges might actually have a different take on these questions. But they're pretty high-level questions. And another thing that comes into play is the state of the metaverse. On the one hand, Rothschild's attorney said, the metaverse doesn't even exist yet. But on the other hand, he talked about what Hermes would be allowed to do or not do or what what a, an artist might be able to do and not do in the metaverse. So while the metaverse might not be fully established, I think there are some very strong emerging ideas around what could take place. And this is probably a good place for me to ask you, because it was funny to me that someone would say at the same time, the metaverse isn't here yet, but it, but this is what I think can and can't happen in the metaverse. What the heck is going on, Danny? Is there a metaverse or is there not a metaverse? What is that? Such a great question. And the team knows internally, I do not shut up about this. But to take a step back, I think one other piece of this kind of related to your question is I should note from my coverage of just brands being involved in NFTs and crypto and virtual worlds, Hermes is not doing that. Opposed to other fashion houses at their caliber, Hermes has not gotten involved in this type of space, the metaverse, whatever you want to call it, pretty much at all. And they've spoken about how they it's not a big part of their strategy. And I think maybe a year or so ago, they spoke about how they're a little more focused on their products and the artistry behind them. They take that very seriously. So I think that might play into a little bit and give a little bit of context to why this court case is even more interesting because of who we're dealing with. We're dealing with a retailer that doesn't make NFTs for customers, that doesn't have virtual pop-up stores, as opposed to some of their contemporaries, I mean, Gucci, Prada, etc. A lot of people in this realm are delving into these spaces. And to your question, what is the metaverse? In theory, you know, the what the lawyer said to you, the trademark expert said, is correct that the metaverse doesn't 
technically exist yet. That's because by definition, the metaverse is meant to be a virtual world that's very immersive, but is, I think, the word interoperable. And that's kind of the key thing, which would mean that you're able to go to different virtual environments and take everything that you have with you. This is getting like very into the details, but it's important because right now what we see is virtual environments such as Roblox or Decentraland, even Meta's space. You can bring your avatar and the different objects virtually you have with it across those platforms. So it's not an interoperable system. So that's by definition, the metaverse doesn't exist. Now, does that matter when in reality, everyone is calling Roblox the metaverse? You know, maybe the definition doesn't matter so much then. Plenty of brands continue to say like they're opening a store in the metaverse, doing a metaverse activation. So that's kind of the status of it. Where NFTs come into play with the concept of the metaverse is that NFTs are virtual tokens, they're connected to cryptocurrency, and most importantly, they serve as a kind of, you know, if you were to buy a painting in real life, like a really high-end painting, you would get a certificate of authenticity with it that's unique to you that would say this is the only one in the world that you own. The blockchain is able to do that in a virtual setting that is meant to provide like true authenticity. And theoretically, even an in-real-life Birkenbag might someday come with an NFT that authenticates that bag. Yeah, that's being done um, with some smaller new fashion companies, I would say. So there's definitely a lot of potential for blockchain technology to just help with authentication, especially in the luxury space where we kind of have an issue with that to begin with. But it basically serves as like a digital ID tag that this is indeed what it is and you're the owner and it can track who else owned it in the past. So that's a long-winded answer of saying, no, the metaverse doesn't technically exist, but in reality, people are using the word very freely. So we have an idea of what the metaverse could be based on these worlds that you're talking about, these digital worlds. And Rothschild's attorney explained to me that his team and Rothschild, you know, Rothschild as the defendant in this lawsuit who is responsible for these hundred drawings of Birkin bags, his bags are meant to be a work of art the way anything would be in real life that you would hang on your wall or, you know, a piece of sculpture might be in your living room and the drawing is on your wall. That's how it was created. So if you brought it to a metaverse world, you could hang it in your space, but you couldn't, it's not a Birkin bag that you could own as a Birkin bag, as a virtual Birkin bag. And that if it were, then Hermes would have a case. But he's saying, it's not a Birkin bag. It's a drawing of a Birkin bag that's meant to be a drawing of a Birkin bag. Just like Andy Warhol's Campbell's soup can is recognizably a work of art that's hung on a wall. It's not something that you could open and have soup virtually or in real life. It does seem, when you have it explained that way, it does seem to be pretty cut and dried. It makes me wonder if would Hermes, who by the way did not answer my request for comment, would Hermes go after an artist who is making similar drawings of Birkenbags 
and selling them in a gallery? Or is the metaverse element influencing our idea of trademark and perhaps potentially morphing our idea of trademark? Yeah, I think, right, there's this entire art aspect to it, the trademark part. And really, the appeal will be interesting to watch because it'll have an impact on what the law defines, you know, are all NFTs are, you know, what's considered trademark in this space. This is a new virtual environment and way of rendering imagery and drawings. So we'll just have to see how that goes. And I think there, the other element to this case is, does Hermes want to keep the Birkin image, its image, exclusive? Which that is a huge part of their brand, even more so than other fashion houses. So, you know, perhaps from their perspective, do they see money being made off of virtual renderings of their bags as, you know, kind of an affront to that brand imagery, that notoriety? I think perhaps. And it'll be interesting to see how they deal with the appeal. And yeah, I mean, I would be shocked if one day we ever did see Birkins being used as like <laughs> accessories in these virtual worlds because it, it would not really be in their, ca- I guess, character, so to speak. Right. And it's it, it's probably a lot easier to find a knockoff Birkin. I'm sure Hermes is extremely careful in tracking them down and making sure that they're not produced and not sold. But it's probably a lot easier to find an in real life knockoff than it would be in the metaverse because it's a lot easier to track in the metaverse, I would think. Yeah, I think you're correct about that. I mean, let's take a walk down Canal Street and see (laughs) if we can find a fake Bergen. I'm almost certain we could. And at the end of the day, they would probably not be able to really track down the person that sold it to me very easily, especially if I didn't know that person's name, yada, yada. But any virtual accessory, whether it's an NFT or just something sold, you know, it's a fashion piece on Roblox. Creators' names are associated with that. I mean, Rothschild doesn't seem embarrassed or, you know, is trying to hide the fact that he's made the MetaBurk and NFTs. So yeah, I think we're dealing with a different type of potential trademark issue or just fraud issue, if that's what Hermes wants to claim it being. There's another element to this project, which is, you know, on the one hand, Rothschild so attorney argued, these are drawings and these are furry Birkin bags that they don't resemble. There, there aren't furry Birkin bags out in the world. This is a commentary on Birkin bags or it's a take on Birkin bags. But the other aspect of the project that he says has artistic merit is the fact that Rothschild anticipated the trajectory that his Birkins would take, that they would be priced at about $450 a piece and would gain in value in the same way that Birkin bags do. And you could see how that is a commentary. I mean, to contemplate the fact that a $10,000 bag at retail can actually gain in value and that someone potentially is happy to spend more than what that original price was for, I'm sure that it is an exquisite bag, but it's a, it's a world that is, you know, I think available to a fraction of the 1%. So that, 
just thinking about that, it, it I can both see how Hermes would seize on that and say, aha, you knew that this would be just like a Birkin bag and be what a Birkin bag is, which is a very expensive investment that gains in value. But it is also a commentary on what is kind of an easily parodied phenomenon in luxury. Right. I think there's so much to dive into here. I'm losing my thoughts, Daphne. <laughs> it's okay. I mean, that we might be getting into the weeds. It it just feels like it is kind of a fine line because they were furry Birkins, yes, but they were still elegant looking. It, it's not like the pregnant one that he made that was clearly like, ugh, that is right not. A real well, bag, and something you, you know? which doesn't necessarily touch on this, the question you just asked or point you just mentioned, but you know, I think the reference to Andy Warhol's work is an interesting and important one, right? Because he was making art paintings that were inspired by the image of a company who owns the look of their cans, Campbell Soup, right? Other stuff as well. But in that situation, you have to wonder did Andy Warhol, you know, using that imagery for his art? what he called his art, did that improve the sales of Campbell? And that's why, you know, they're probably not that upset that Andy Warhol ever made those paintings. Whereas in this situation, I don't think, you know, I would imagine Hermes is maybe not gaining much from this artist or creator making NFTs in their imagery or inspired by their bags because Hermes is so exclusive. So perhaps they see him gaining value in his own art based off of their bags as really just a win for him as opposed to them as well. So I wonder if that adds another layer of insult for them as a company. I'm not sure. It's true. I mean, Campbell's Soups, even just the... Campbell's Soup is probably available at drugstores too. But you go to the grocery store and there's a wall of Campbell's Soup. It's not like they are in the least bit exclusive or hard to find or expensive. The other thing is Andy Warhol did a lot of commercial work himself, so he knew that language. But, you know, the guy, Blake Gopnik, who's the art critic who wrote the book on Andy Warhol, does see the straight line between going from Andy Warhol to Mason Rothschild's work. I think for anyone interested in, you know, the art side of this argument, the scary thing is the metaverse going to be devoid of any kinds of these conversations. Is it only going to be a commercial space? And of course, for the brands, the scary thing is, can you just take our trademark and run with it, you know, all over the theoretically infinite world of the metaverse? Yeah, I mean, I think ultimately, this just raises the question of who gets to determine what art is. And we're in a situation where we're dealing with literally a new type of technology, right? Blockchain. And people are making money off of that in ways that would take a lot longer back in the day dealing with physical artwork. <laughs> so it's all a very unique situation that I think is the metaverse. NFTs are advancing, I think, at a faster rate than the law has been able to keep up with, which is often the case. And this is the result of now having to deal with what's happening in these virtual environments. So we're really at the point, I think, where 
we're in wait and see mode. I think we're fairly well versed now in the, you know, the arguments that are being made and we'll see if this holds up on appeal. So we'll be watching this. This episode of The Backroom was produced and edited by Caroline Jansen. Please be sure to like, rate, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.